Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's time to turn it up with your new favorite podcast, Expeditiously with T.I., here on Podcast One. Join the rapper, entrepreneur, family man, and activist as he bridges the gap and sheds light on important social topics and much more in authentic, eyebrow-raising dialogue that might make you want to pull out your dictionary. Download new episodes of Expeditiously with T.I. every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. It is a continuation of the Division Capsule podcast that I do in the offseason. Combination, offseason review, season preview, and this one is on the Pacific Division with the long-running combination of guests that I absolutely love, the former D'Antonio Wing cast of Kevin Pelton of ESPN and Ben Golliver of The Washington Post and... This is a big division. There was a lot, a lot to get to. High-profile moves, of course, what the Clippers did, what the Lakers did, the Warriors turnover, but then also really interesting off-seasons for the, the Kings and the Suns as well. So everybody gets attention, and as usual, we go through you know breakout players, ranking the teams, how many are going to make the playoffs, and then so much on the off-season moves, large and small, that, that interested us. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. You can use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. Also, starting the Sportsnet Challenge, I'll talk about that later on in the show. And after the this episode, you can hear me talk with Adam Burns at betonline.ag about the upcoming NFL season. It was a, a pretty fun little conversation. So you can that's at the after the conversation with Kevin and Ben. But let's get to that first. So it's about an hour 10. I really enjoyed it, as I always do with the two of them, and I hope you do as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me, Danny. I can't wait. So I have this structure. You guys are both familiar with it, having done these podcasts for a few years now. And I start with who got better and who got worse. I guess we'll begin with KP, but I don't think there are really too many to argue about in this division. I think it's it's a pretty clear line of separation for each of these teams. Do you agree? I think Sacramento is an interesting question. Phoenix clearly on paper got better. I mean, Clippers and Lakers, yes, we're taking for granted that they got better. Although I think there's an interesting question to be had about whether the Clippers win total is going to be as much better as everyone expects it's going to be. Uh, but and Golden State clearly got worse. I don't think there's any debating that. 
so Sacramento to me seems like the one where there's a question where, you know, clearly they add a lot number of veterans in free agency. They've improved their depth. I think if you compare it to, you know, if they had brought back the exact same group as last year is compared to that, I think they've improved their outlook. But whether they're going to be improved from where they finished last season, I think is a, a, a very open question in my mind. Isn't there also a question about did they improve like too much like short term thinking and did they really improve anything in like the big picture long term view of of where they're trying to go? I mean, that's one one question I had with their summer. I also think that they're going to be a a candidate for a lot of internal improvement. It could be coming through kind of rose colored glasses after watching uh, De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley at the USA stuff where both those guys were just consistently popping in the scrimmages. I think they're both ready to take a step forward. So I put them softly into the got better category, not necessarily for the moves that they were making around the edges, which, you know, I wasn't really bowled over by, but just the idea that like they got enough live bodies around their core young guys who should be getting meaningfully better that they're probably going to wind up in the getting better category. So, so Ben, I didn't go to the Team USA stuff this year, and I was wondering, I, you know, the stuff around Fox wasn't wasn't necessarily surprising to me, but with Bagley, especially considering the type of game he has, I heard that from a few people, and I was very interested in it. What what made him pop to you in those scrimmages? Well, here's the tricky part, guys, because we don't know if he was actually like significantly better than he was last season, or if he was just beating up on Kyle Kuzma. I mean, that was <laughs> that was the tricky part. <laughs> but uh, no, I think that. You know, that, that select team that he was playing with, with a guy like Jaron Jackson, Jared Allen, I mean, that group of, of young guys just has so much length and athleticism that they were really causing problems for uh, sort of the national team or like the, the A team where they were just, you know, getting a lot of baskets around, uh, you know, in the paint, or, you know, getting a lot of rebounds, just protecting the glass, moving very well on defense, covering ground. I and mean, obviously that's an area where he needs to improve. Um, but uh, I think it's just, you know, his, his athleticism, you know, is the reason why he got drafted so high. He knows what he's doing with the basketball in his hands. He can go downhill pretty well. And when he's surrounded by a lot of, you know, talented players in those scrimmages, he gets a lot of one-on-one opportunities and that's really where he thrives. So is it a perfect analogy or, you know, analogous to what the Kings offense is going to look like next season? Probably not. Um, you know, he's going to be facing, I think, more attention uh, at various points than he was able to in those scrimmages. But uh, even among the guys they had collected there in Vegas, his athleticism for sure and his scoring instincts definitely popped. That's good to hear. And I do think that some of that is applicable. And Sacramento has has a, an unusual problem for a team that, you know, didn't make the playoffs last year. And they're going to they definitely have a shot to make it this year. But, you know, they, there are a lot of good teams in the West where they're just so deep. I wonder if some of the elements that that didn't cause problems last year because they were so much better than people anticipated. And, you know, it was such a feel good story. If now some of those guys who get squeezed a little bit out of playing time, start to grumble a little bit more and, and especially cause now they're getting closer to getting paid. And so who starts at small forward? How do they div- divvy up these minutes and all that? I, I, I could see some of that becoming a little bit more of a problem now that they have some expectations, both individually and collectively. To me, that's more likely to happen among the veterans than it is the young guys, because it seems like, you know, maybe you could say Bogdan Bogdanovich, who, you know, has gotten paid decently. He made much better than a rookie contract on his first deal because of the fact that he was outside of the the rookie scale when he came over. But, you know, he's going to be there. You know, Buddy Heald, I think that I would be surprised. I would not be surprised if he had an extension done by the time the training camp starts, but he's not going to get squeezed for playing time. I mean, you know, he's a core part of their future, you know, 
key part of their core uh, alongside Deer and Fox and, and Bagley as well. I mean, I think one thing also that happened this summer, if we want to get deeper into their moves, is like by loading up at the center position, prioritizing that with both Deadman and then Rashawn Holmes, they've made it pretty unlikely that Marvin Bagley is going to play a lot of minutes at center this season. And that seems like the best opportunity to create those kind of matchups that Ben was talking about, those one-on-one situations, as if you're playing him as a five. I definitely like him better as a five, um, especially if you can kind of work him in where he's going against second unit fives. Uh, real quick question, though. You said Buddy healed extension. I got a shiver through my body. I mean, how bad is that one going to get? It could get bad, right? I, I mean, if you read tomorrow, if Woj tweeted tomorrow, uh, King's finalizing max extension for Buddy healed, would you be shocked? I wouldn't be. I would not be, and I'm already prepared to hate it. But he actually might be worth it. Like, he was 10 wins above replacement player last year. Like, you look at the quality of the shooting guards. You look at next year's free agent market where almost all of the big names are already off the board or, you know, realistically off the board in the case of Anthony Davis, uh, who we'll get to in later in this pod. I mean, Buddy, could, Buddy like, deserves, I think, to get paid. Well, and, we, and, and, we, sh- and shooters we... age well, so when he when he's two years into this contract in 35, it'll be totally fine. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> shooters age well, yeah. <laughs> You're protecting against his decline on his second contract. <laughs> hey, uh, Kevin, can you explain to me, let's get real dorky here, because I noticed that Buddy Heald was like an absolute stud by your metric. Yeah. Uh, why does he look so much better on yours compared to real plus minus? Well, defense is part of it. I mean, that's, that's an, uh, you know, as good as he was offensively last season, he's still not there at the defensive end of the court. But the the big factor is that, uh, you know, an adjustment I made to my metrics last season is that instead of having just one standard replacement level across all players, there's a specific replacement level for each position. And shooting guard in particular in the league, it's been very difficult to find effective shooting guards. So that benefits guys like him, uh, someone who played a lot of minutes, played all 82 games last year, 32 minutes a night, and was really productive at this weak position. You add that up and the combination is uh, a lot of wins above replacement. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the the press release that Vlade sends out announcing the max extension has his wins above replacement, like, you know, in the third graph or something like just to, to justify the big time investment. That would be the first time the Kings would have ever cited me in a positive manner. That's for certain. <laughs> So I think the next place to go, the first part of this podcast is always off-season review, is moves that stand out. And I think there's a group of three just that are too big that we have to make sure that we go through those. And then there are other smaller ones, especially with, with you guys on the pod, that, that, will, that we might want to point out of just that were interesting. But the, the three mandatory ones for me are AD, the Durant-D'Angelo Russell move, and then... I, I, I'm kind of throwing all the Clipper stuff in one bucket. You could throw it in two or three if you really want I'm, to. I mean, it all happened together. Yeah, it all happened together. And let's start with that one. I I, I saw KP shortly after the <laughs> after the Paul George trade happened, which, of course, the Kawhi thing happened all together. We've had about two months now to process it. It's still amazing. It's still shocking. It's still crazy. I mean, I was talking about it with Nate when we were doing offseason grades, just the absolute haul that OKC got. But then you look at what the Clippers team is now, and it's it's shocking. It's amazing. All right, so here's what fascinates me about the Paul George trade in particular, and, and I guess the Kawhi free agency is inevitably tied into this. To me, it is the single case in NBA history where there was the most, the widest gap between the minimum that Oklahoma City would have accepted to trade Paul George and the maximum the Clippers were willing to give up to get Paul George. Because I think there's actually like a weird case to be made that for the Thunder to not get every single Clippers draft pick they could, like 
they they should have taken the Clippers for literally everything they had. Because when were the Clippers going to say no? At what point would they have said no? Well, it, knowing that this was their opportunity to secure Kawhi Leonard. Well, and especially if the Wizards basically said we're not trading Bradley Beal, because if there basically if there weren't as many what the Clippers considered suitable replacements, then the the Thunder should send whether it's Tommy Shepard or Ted Leonsis or somebody a gift basket because there were other less suitable options that theoretically could have been on the table, but it seems like they weren't, and that gave Presti so much more leverage. Yeah, and then it was well, just also the ticking clock. Yeah. It, yeah, and like the timing for sure needed to get it done quickly. I understand what you're saying, KP, but I, let me turn it around the other way. The Clippers, I think, got crowned the summer's winners because of like that double explosion, the Kawhi and Paul George, like back-to-back, just nuclear bomb on the summer, right? But if they had just signed Kawhi and then the, like the Paul George trade just hypothetically had come like a month later, are we sure everyone would have been so rah-rah for the Clippers summer? And are we sure that we would be sitting here nitpicking the the package that Oklahoma City uh, got? Like I'm thinking if there was just sort of this trade in a vacuum, like in the middle of August where they finally get the Paul George deal done and we're all seeing all these assets go out from the Clippers, they're getting painted as desperate. Uh, they're getting painted as, uh, you know, Kawhi runs their team. Uh, they're they're getting questions about Paul George's health, like all of the doubts that kind of like, you know, were discussed and acknowledged, I think, when the deal went down in July, I think would have been played up a lot more than they were. So I guess I'm just wondering, like from a timing and order of execution standpoint, I think it worked out great for the Clippers from a PR standpoint because uh, they pretty much just got the, the positive uh, press only. Do you think it would be different had they occurred as separate transactions? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, there's no question there would be. Uh, I mean, and that's one of those things that we can just never know. Like, what was he telling, Kawhi telling them? How credible did they think the threat was? And, you know, uh, Brian Windhorst has pointed this out a lot on the Hoop Collective. Like, it's not just that it was Kawhi or bust. It was Kawhi to the us or Kawhi going across the hallway to the Lakers. Like, that is incredible, like, you know, stakes uh, well, in, at least in terms of PR, if not in terms of actual basketball. Well, and beyond that, it's also who was going to be the next Kawhi? Like, who is going to be the next star? Because we know the 2020 class just isn't there. And Anthony, the, the, the ne- next best candidate in 2020 was Anthony Davis, who pretty damn sure wasn't going to leave the Lakers if Kawhi Leonard had gone there, or even probably assuming if Kawhi Leonard doesn't. So then the Clippers, they've, they've basically built up this war chest for exactly that reason. And the other reason for me why I think I would have been rosier on what the Clippers did than a lot of other teams is because they gave up a ton in in the Paul George trade, but they still have a very good team. Because of all these players, they have unvalued contracts. They were able to retain the ability to trade their 2020 first-round pick. So this is not Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and nothing. Like this, to me, I, I have them in my head. I haven't, you know, I haven't run the numbers. I don't know how far KP is in, into all his stuff yet, but in conceptually right now to me they are my they are my title favorites not by a lot but they are my title favorites and that is fundamentally different than the idea of you know just stars and scrubs because having pat beverly having mo harkless having lou williams and montrez harrell and zubach and even jermichael green who i think could end up being an important part of this team that makes it look different to me too because you don't have to hit on all of your minimum salary guys, you know, nail the mid-level exception each year. They're already in the mix and considering how weak the 2020 class is, odds are they're going to be in the mix next year too, though obviously things can change. No, I agree with that and and part of the reason why is they won so many trades leading up to the Paul George trade that they had assets to burn, right? Like if they overpay for Paul George, it's okay because they had already just, you know, fleeced multiple teams 
and sort of, you know, big time trades flipping those assets. So I, I gave them a little bit of a pass on the package. I don't know about you guys. I think the Clippers might be the deepest team in the league. If not deepest, then they're top three. What do you think? I, they're they're up there. I mean, it's, it's just that their depth, I think, is so unique for a team that is as top heavy as they are. And I mean, uh, you know, Danny, to your question, I, they don't come out like obviously I top the projections they come out third in the West, but those are regular season projections. And then, you know, we uh, did a thing earlier this week in, in relation to the ESPN summer forecast that was like, you know, kind of assess the reason that this team was picked to win the championship. And then the team, the, the reason, you know, that they might not win the championship and I was assigned the Clippers. And so, you know, it gave me the opportunity to think about it a little bit. And, and what I wrote about was, you know, if you look at the champions of the modern era, uh, since 2012, you know, every single one of them except the first Steph Warriors team has had LeBron, Kevin Durant, or Kawhi Leonard. You've had to have like that that wing with size who is also a quality defender creates his own shot. There are probably four of those guys in the league this year if you don't count Durant since he's probably not going to play. Two of them are Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Half of them play on the Clippers. I like that thinking. Should we be nitpicking Paul George's playoff resume a little bit on this, though? I mean, do we want to grant him into this conversation? I do feel like he still looks and acts and talks better on paper than he does at times during the playoffs. Is that a little too first takey or not? Well, I, 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 I wish he hadn't been hurt. Pacers days. Yeah, early Pacers days. And for me, I wish he hadn't been hurt this this past year because I think that was a big factor in everything that happened. I mean, when he had the shoulder surgery and everything else. Actually, shoulder surgery on both shoulders. That yeah. it, it could have been. But, but, I, I just mean, feel like there's a lot of excuses around Paul George. That's all I'm saying. Oh, that, that's, it's that's, always that's something. Fair. I, I mean, also, Paul George has averaged over 27 points a game in the playoffs three of the last four times he's gone. Now, those have been one-round appearances. Yeah, four games. I'm doing great. But, <laughs> And one of those years, he shot 39% from the field, although there were a lot of three-point attempts in that one in, in 2017 when the uh, uh, with the Pacers got swept by Cleveland. That was such uh, a weird series. I, I, I guess what I should say is, look, there's Kevin Durant and there's uh, LeBron James and there is Kawhi Leonard. That's but they already they're. have one of those guys. They don't need Paul George to be that guy. They just need him to be, you know, to D-Wade to, to, you know, to Kawhi's LeBron, I guess. I hear you. I hear you. I'm not saying he's terrible. I'm just saying let's let's keep this little like, you know, this uh, class of truly elite wigs as tight as possible. That's all. Make him earn it. Can we talk about the shoulder surgery for a second? Yes. I am going on the record here. Not worried about the shoulder surgery. Okay. Which one? Yeah, fine. Shoulder (laughs) surgeries. But I I did a study a few years ago that never saw the light of day because it concluded that basically there is no impact whatsoever to players when they come back from shoulder surgery. They shoot almost exactly what you would expect them to shoot based on their past performance and age. I think the the most interesting part of it could be how carefully do they play it? Like how much do you slow play it, right? Because you have like this real marketing interest. Like here in LA, they've got billboards everywhere of Ka- Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, right? Like this is their moment. This is their statement. And it's weird if the statement is like, hey, guys, I'll get back to you after Thanksgiving, you know? <laughs> That is fair. Well, and, no, and I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know the timing them, with the stadium. Like, I'm sure they have stuff that momentum there would be good. But but Ben's getting into an interesting point because you have to reconcile that with the unusual dynamic that is seeding and pressure and all that in the Western Conference this year. Because not only do you have all of these teams that are going to need time to sort themselves out, the Lakers are another example of this. 
But also, there's this sneaking possibility, depending on what happens with the Warriors, if Clay gets back and they are, you know, one of those teams that is better than their seed, that will make them an undesirable opponent. So if they make the playoffs, what seeding they get is there. So it might be one of these spots where a, you de- there are definitely places where a team wants to be in the West, but we won't know which spots those are until the first or second week of April. Yeah, and I guess I was also trying to get at the idea of, okay, so is this going to be the load management team of the season too? Like, do they just decide, yeah. hey, Paul George, you've had two surgeries. We need you in the playoffs. You broke down in last year's playoffs and got completely punked by Damian Lillard. So you're only going to play 55 games, right? And then same deal with Kawhi. Now, the early buzz around the team for the Clippers standpoint is that now that Kawhi has got the contract that he wanted and he's not sort of in that like, you know, hangover year like he was in Toronto, they think he's going to be playing a lot. Like it doesn't sound like it's going to be the same deal as last year. But if something flares up, you know, they're going to be super duper careful with it. So I think, um, you know, even though when Kevin's projections came out, you know, the Clippers popped as low for sure. I think probably for a lot of people, definitely for me. But there's a pretty reasonable case to be made that they'll be coasting. Yeah, and that's where I think it's interesting, like the idea that they might not actually win that many more games than they did last season, despite adding Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and having, you know, by a claim, the best offseason. I mean, part of it, it starts with like, you know, everyone sees the 48 and 34 win record, you know, 48 and 34 record. And, you know, the fact that they took two games off the Warriors in the first round, but that overstated their overall level of play. Their point differential last year was more consistent. You know, I'm looking at the uh, basketball reference expected win loss with a 43 and 39 team. And I think we, we judge them a little differently if their record last year was 43 and 39 than 48 and 34. No, I agree completely. They were on a dream ride, joy ride. I mean, there were so many games where, you know, Lou Will's pulling it out late or just everything's breaking perfectly. Like a lot of their guys had good health. Um, so I think that's a really smart point. Well, and it's it's wouldn't be a new thing for a Kawhi Leonard team to have fewer wins than they had the season before, but still have much brighter expectations in the playoffs because that's exactly what happened last year. And granted, the, the, the Toronto team was coming off of a higher watermark the year before in terms of wins than the Clippers team. You know, I, I, I would be surprised if the Clippers won fewer games this coming year than they did last year. But that idea of, I think I'm happy that at least in, and maybe it's just the circles that we run in, that the idea of wins being a met, being like the measure of team quality has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. I mean, that happened in the in the playoff conversations this past year, and I think this year it will be another calibrator depending on how all this stuff shakes out. But we should move on to the other two big moves. Anthony Davis, kind of kind of a similar thing where it was a very specific asset, a specific player that made a lot of sense for that team. And again, the Lakers, the LA team gives up an absolute ton for a, a super talented player. And what what and I wrote about this back when it happened for the Athletic. But what what's so interesting to me about how this Lakers team ended up, you know, finishing up because it wasn't finished when when all that happened, is how much if they want to be a real legit contender, how much they're going to need out of AD defensively because they didn't really put that framework around him whether he's playing the five or the four danny do you not think that dwight howard is still a dominant defender in the nba oh no don't do that (laughs) (laughs) look i think that they put a gigantic burden on there's no question about it uh you look at where lebron's defense has been at you look at some of these other older guys that they've gotten uh who you know their defense has definitely slipped from their their prime definitely looking at you avery bradley I think for them to be a top 10 defense, AD basically has to be the defensive player of the year. Is that overstating it? That's probably overstating it a bit. I mean, 
you know, the the RPM projections do have them coming out as a pretty positive defense. Now, I don't think that they're, you know, LeBron has the ability to accumulate a lot of steals and blocks without necessarily making that kind of impact defensively. But, you know, I mean, they, they do have some quality wing defenders despite that. I mean, Danny Green in particular, I, you know, I yeah, think they he have is, one. I'm not sure. <laughs> We're all the way through Okay. KCP is he's solid for I mean if he's your second best wing defender yeah, I think you're going to be fine with that uh, I mean Alex Caruso has been pretty good defensively yeah. they if they got to play him. point guards instead of Rondo they got to play Caruso for sure because guys like Quinn Cook and Troy Daniels Bradley I mean that's and even Rondo like on a random regular season game all those guys just give me fits yeah the the fact that like Quinn Cook uh, the idea of like playing him at point guard yeah I'm I'm, I'm not sure about that one. Well, the Lakers are are a really good example of who you play and when you play them being extremely important. Now, my expectation is that Anthony Davis is not going to play a ton of center in the regular season. He doesn't seem to want to, but I think he understands that that's going to be a part of it in the playoffs. He did that when they played the Warriors a few years ago, you know, in that in that later in the second round series, he just kind of knew, especially with cousin with cousins being out. And that's where, you know, having innings eaters like JaVale McGee and it would have been DeMarcus except he got hurt again. And I guess Dwight Howard, like that's another actually reason why I don't love the Dwight Howard signing is we have no idea what his stamina is going to be like. And if you need innings eaters, they don't really have a ton of those guys in the rotation. And also like Kyle Kuzma has not exactly been the most, I I think Kuzma is going to be the most interesting calibrator for me with Frank Vogel, because I personally don't love his fit with LeBron and, and AD because he, you know, Kuzma's brings most value. Like, he does some cool things with the ball in his hands and he, and his shooting is, you know, it's his shooting, but also his defensive weaknesses. I think that when you have Kuzma on the floor with those two, it puts a lot more on them. So where Frank Vogel decides to use Kuzma in this rotation is going to be very telling for me about kind of how he sees the ecosystem with all of these players. Yeah, I don't uh, envy Frank Vogel at all. I think he's got a really, really tough job here. That was even before the Dwight Howard thing, and now he's got to juggle that too. Um, The positional issues with Kuzma, I agree, uh, definitely on the defensive end. I think he should benefit from a lot more clean looks this year from playing with two guys who really are going to be sucking up a lot of defensive attention. So that could help his three-point shot uh, you know, look a little bit better than it did last year. What do you think about the idea of going a little outside the box and trying to use Jared Dudley as a center? I bet that'll happen at some point. I mean, it happened in the playoffs last year. I wonder if that's like the compromise to kind of keep Anthony Davis <clears throat> happy, happy and motivated. You know what I mean? Well, it would be funny if they're doing Dudley and Davis. It, there are these circumstances where it's kind of like a, it's it's a it's a it's just a little bookkeeping trick where like the player is technically playing center, but if they can treat it in their minds like they're not, then maybe they're okay with it. And maybe that's the the kind of the solution here is like if Dudley and Anthony Davis. It's like the Paul. It's like when Paul George was listed at power forward when he was playing with CJ Miles. Paul George was being guarded by the other team's small forward because he's Paul freaking George. And but but they listed it that way, and so it was kind of interesting. And people talked about it. If AD and and Jared Dudley are on the four. Anthony Davis is getting guarded by the other team's best defensive four or five. So it's basically like he's playing center. But if he doesn't feel that way, then more power to him. This is a little bit of a you know negative question, honestly. But how much downside potential do you see with this Lakers group? I was really excited for them that you know they get Anthony Davis. Obviously, that's a long term quest, and they pulled it off. 
it's a fascinating, tantalizing duo. But like last year's season went worse than basically anyone projected by a lot. And, you know, their yeah, win total yeah, winds up being... projected that the Lakers would miss the playoffs? I, I can't think of anyone. Well, they didn't just miss I the know. playoffs, Kevin. I Come know. on. I mean, and obviously it was deflated because they shut down LeBron like, you know, a month before the season ended. But like, how? what's the, what's the downside uh, potential here for this group? I mean... Well, we've seen, I guess, what it looks like when LeBron is surrounded by this ill-fitting supporting cast. We know what it looks like when Anthony Davis plays without, you know, a bunch of other elite talent. Like, those are not contending teams and not even playoff teams in those cases. So, you know, I think the downside has got to be some sort of serious injury to one of those two guys. But it's, it's there. So you think that they've got enough, even if those guys, let's just say they play 75 games. If the top two guys play 75 or even 70, you think they're a playoff team no matter what? Yeah, I think the floor is something like 45 wins at that point. I mean, that's two of the 10 best players in the league for certain, right? Yeah, unless and, LeBron, and think, and unless LeBron about, really ages, I guess that's the other one. Yeah, card. Th- that would be the other one. But I mean, just but even the passing that LeBron has and so many other things, I think it would just create enough looks for other guys. And we've seen players of that caliber be such additives for each other. And so I, I think about how great the Lakers' offense is going to be when those players are on the floor together. And just how, as you talked about, like how much that's going to give to guys like Kuzma. And I think that's even larger for players like Danny Green, who who don't do a lot of creation for themselves that they just will get they'll just get better looks and so then that leads to typically them getting going in more often but yeah to me if, if those guys stay healthy they're going to be a very they're going to be a very good team now whether that means they're going to win every game is a little bit different but I, I think that their their floor if healthy is pretty high now their floor if unhealthy as as Kevin Pelton said is is pretty low but that's true of so many teams that are star dependent I'm just starting to feel like this season's getting off to an ominous beginning with the the entire Cousins experience. It just gets uglier by the week. And now Dwight Howard. I mean, it's just like this feels like a rain cloud just like coming over right over the top of the Lakers. I don't know if I'm being too dramatic here. I just can't believe they re-signed Dwight. Like, who could have ever imagined that? I mean, the amazing thing is if you go through it, there's like nobody from his original tenure, right? So like all the skeletons in the closet they're all packed up and they're buried underground you yeah, know? But, but they're not that far but Kobe's buried still kobe's still looming over everything I he's mean, like you know one Palen- of the palenko the... was kobe's agent then like it's not like exactly. it's not like that's they're, the they're craziest that. part about it right i mean how did he get talked into it right it, it, it's pretty incredible and i mean genie was obviously around like there, there are a lot of people who who were close but so I th- what what Ben's saying gets me into something that is super weird for me to say, which is: Is it possible that LeBron James is underrated, like or underdiscussed? Maybe not underrated, but underdiscussed. Like the last time LeBron was healthy in the playoffs, he was the best player in the overall playoffs. And yeah, it's very possible. I mean, he's going to turn 35 this year, and he's coming off of this off of the most serious injury of his career, but. LeBron James is unbelievable and when with all of these other players who have been like best player in the world in the in the last couple of years there I I think that maybe because those guys have stayed generally healthier than than LeBron was last year but I mean he's an unbelievable player and a transformational one at that highest level of anybody in the league I believe we reached the best player in the world of the week during last year's playoffs 
I mean, look, I agree that he's underrated, but I think he made his own bet on this one. I mean, last year was such a disaster. And like, even just take the injury part out of it because he couldn't control that. I mean, the way they pursued the Anthony Davis trade during the season, the way the locker room fell apart down the stretch, the way he shut down early, uh, you know, all the off-court stuff that he's just always involved in. uh, I feel like he's kind of earned it. You know what I mean? Like he's got a He's got to, you know, reprove himself to a certain degree. It's like, all right, well, you're definitely a year older. You've had the whole summer with people taking shots at you and saying you're going to use that as motivation. So, like, come out and put up an MVP season. Like, I I think it's okay to expect that from LeBron. I'm not questioning what he can do on the basketball court in any way. But I don't think we should just, like, erase last year's entire run from our memory because it was pretty painful. And he was involved in lots of different ways, both on and off the court, in that pain. If I'm a Lakers fan, I don't want him to have an MVP regular season. I want him to have an MVP playoffs. And not that those are mutually exclusive, but I think it's a lot easier to do it if he's not having an MVP regular season. Well, look, he's not going to play enough defense to win the MVP. I'm just saying he needs to reestablish himself as sort of like the the game-changing force that Danny's describing. Because, look, when he came back from the injury down the stretch, he kept telling everybody he's going to flip the playoff switch. It's time to go. It's time to go. And then they're losing games to Phoenix and throwing the ball off the back of the backboard. You know, it's like, where's the switch? We're looking for the switch, LeBron. I feel like I need an oral history of that stretch, that that week there, uh, give or take. Uh, You know, like where it just kind of all went from, okay, there's still time to, no, it's over. Can can we we'll have to figure out what the onomatopoeia is of like the air going out of a balloon rapidly like that that's or like that the the party the the, or, the party or, thing or going, basketball yeah or yeah. The, yeah I feel like I need a full body cleanse I don't know if I need the oral history I just need to <laughs> forget um, all of that happened plenty more to talk about with Ben and Kevin but first a message from betonline.ag the NFL season is about to start and beyond all of that excitement it also leads to a really fun competition that those of us who are lucky enough to host at podcast one get to be a part of it is a five thousand dollar season-long charity contest and you can join the conversation on twitter with hashtag sportsnet challenge hosts from all over i actually did really well last year which is pretty awesome and i'm going to be following football more intently this year for various reasons so i'm even more excited i'll I'm not sure I'll share my picks every week because it'll depend on when the timing works. But for this one, it makes sense because this is Wednesday and the first game is on Thursday. Chiefs over Jaguars, Chargers over Colts, Eagles over Washington, Cowboys over Giants, and Rams over Panthers. We'll see how that turns out. I'll, I'll talk about it next week, talk about how they fare. And it's just a lot of fun to be a part of it. And if you want to be a part of the action too yourself, there are so many ways to do that at betonline.ag, including in-game wagering, which can be really, really fun. And make sure that if you do, you use the podcast one promo code, because not only does it tell them that you came from us, but you get a 50% sign-up bonus, which is pretty fantastic. Again, that is a podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. And as a part of this, hopefully I win it a bunch of times, the winning the winning predictor each week gets $500 and bet online account rewards each week to give out to five listeners so five listeners get 100 bucks if that happens with me you of course will know all about it here so again podcast one promo code 50 percent welcome bonus and check out betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts if you're struggling with alcohol or drugs recovery centers of america can help the holidays are over the new year is here and the time to act is now Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. 
We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. The third massive move that happened in this division was the Warriors pivoting from Kevin Durant leaving, which was not exactly a surprise, to using that as a, as a mechanism for bringing in D'Angelo Russell, getting him on a four-year max contract, and everything that came from that, meaning the Warriors were hard-capped, so they had to trade Andre Iguodala and couldn't retain a lot of their own free agents and not use the full mid-level exception, but still retain Kevon Looney. And due to my physical location, that's something that I've thought about a lot and I've dealt with a lot, but it's not something that I think that we have talked about that much. So where are you guys on that overall decision of instead of going in a a different direction, maybe retention, running it back, or I mean, Clay's injury obviously factored in here to, okay, well, we're going to, we're just going to have D'Angelo Russell for at least this coming year, but under contract for four. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think of it like I thought of it at the time. It's like the light years move because it's the trying to swing for the home run of like, how else are we going to get a young player as talented as D'Angelo Russell? Well, there's no way like you're not going to be able to, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to trade for a player like that. You're not going to have the cap space to do it because even with just Clay and and uh, Steph and Draymond on the books with the Draymond extension, which was interesting in its own right, like you're not going to have, you know, cap space anytime soon. So, you know, this was a unique opportunity for them. But the sacrifice was I, I think they've substantially hampered their chances of being successful this season. I loved it. Uh, I think that, you know, the ambitious side of it, sometimes that comes with the downside. But I think in the case of Russell specifically, where you know there are other teams out there who you could flip him to very quickly, I think that removes basically any of the risk. I thought it was very creative. I was pretty convinced that they were going to be backed into a corner and fairly screwed this summer if Kevin left. And I don't think that's the case. I think they put themselves, you know, set up, you know, fairly well. To, to make noise this coming season once Clay's back on the court and, and you know, making a, a push into the playoffs based on their chemistry and uh, their collective IQ and, and all those things. Uh, and I think they've also set themselves up pretty nice long term. Like if for some reason the pairing doesn't work, I think you can flip him uh, and get some pretty good stuff back in return. And I say this as somebody who really does not like D'Angelo Russell's game and in a vacuum definitely wouldn't have given him a max contract. But I think for you know their particular set of circumstances, um, like they get an A for the summer. I mean, it's tough when you're losing a player like Kevin Durant, uh, and you know you've invested a lot of your planning into you know how uh, you can have him be the best player on a title team. I mean, that's going to be a blow no matter what. But I thought they saved it pretty brilliantly. I'm lower on D'Angelo Russell than that, and also the firsts and everything else they gave up in the deal. But with the part of it that has changed for me over the course of the summer. I wouldn't say that it has changed the way that I feel about the move, but it has changed my approach to it a little bit, is I'm more interested intellectually in how D'Angelo Russell, like how this fit works, because he's played a, a pretty certain way throughout his career. And it's not a surprise. Talented, talented point guard plays, you know, pick and roll based system, has the ball in his hands a lot. And my at first I'm like, oh, man, this is never going to work like he hasn't done it before. And but but I do think that conceptually there is a way for this more beautiful gamey D'Angelo Russell offensively to work pretty well. And 
some of what I've heard from him has been kind of quote unquote saying the right things. But I, I think I've focused more on the like circle and a square peg part of it rather than the because of his experience rather than the conceptual fit, which is, you know, he's a talented shooter. If he maybe ha- doesn't have to create one on one or, you know, in those certain circumstances as much where he rely- where it relies on his, you know, craft and because his athleticism isn't great. Like so, maybe maybe it works better than I anticipated. But even if it doesn't, I'm excited to to have that piece of information because we often don't get that for point guards. What I think is going to be fascinating is how much Steve Kerr adjusts to this different group of players. You know, pretty clearly the strength of D'Angelo Russell's game at this point is pick and roll basketball. The strength of Steph Curry's game is pick and roll basketball. You no longer have the Kevin Durant isolation option. You don't have a lot of the beautiful game stuff that they were trying to do with Clay Thompson in terms of off-ball screening, at least for the first you know five months of the season. And as much as I am you know optimistic about Paul George coming back from surgery, I am very pessimistic about Clay Thompson coming back from ACL surgery relative to everyone else because you know I think that the just the history suggests that's a much more difficult over, uh, injury to overcome, at least in the short term. Than people tend to think it is. It's been treated as kind of routine now because it happens so frequently, but it still isn't. Uh, so, you know, given all of that, are the Warriors going to move to a bunch of pick and roll this season, or are they still going to be trying to run split cuts off of Kevon Looney? I hope it's more pick and roll. I mean, we saw the Spurs adapt their offense over the years, you know, in pretty big ways. So, if you know, this is kind of the the test of Kerr's like pop ideology, right? Like, is he going to be able to do the same thing? I'm curious, are you down on Clay's contract because of those injury concerns, or is this a short-term concern for you? I mean, he's still such a useful player for an elite team because of the fact that you know, I think he'll still be a good defender, if not a great one. And, you know, the shooting will age incredibly well, as we talked about earlier with Buddy Heald, who's, uh, you know, uh, a little uh, slightly younger than than Clay. Uh, for all those reasons, I feel fine about the contract and then just the impossibility of replacing him. But, you know, I just don't think that we should be like, oh, come playoff time, they're going to have healthy Clay back and just, you know, be rolling again. Like, mm, I don't know if it's going to work like that. Well, and on top of that, the, the big question, pe- there have been some people in that have been very optimistic about the Warriors to me and my my response has been who are they starting at small forward you know like this this, this, great is, question. this is an incredibly top heavy like they're they're one of the most top heavy teams I can think of just because once you get out of their first four or five guys it's not only oh they're weak it's a bunch of players that haven't proven themselves at the NBA level at all you know or or at to, to near the level that they would think so you have like the young guys Poole and Evans and Amari Spellman and those type of guys and then you have GR3 who's had a star cross career Alec Burks who's had a star cross career Collie Stein has had some moments and it'll be interesting to see how Kerr uses him as well but it's going to be a real challenge, and when you consider that the Warriors are A, really close to the hard cap already, and B, have already used all of their cash on hand, they can't really do what Daryl Morey did last year, which was when some of those pieces didn't work, he was able to pay other teams to take them on and try new ones, and that's what led to Austin Rivers most notably, but a few other guys as well. And the Warriors, you know, Bob Myers, unless teams want to take those guys on outright, he can't really do that. Yeah, I mean, McKinney is their one avenue of flexibility, and he might be the favorite to start at small forward at this point. Yeah, he would be I for think, me. I think that's who would probably start at small forward. Here's my question, though. Let's compare them to, like, the Thunder the first year after KD left. I think they wound up winning, like, 47 games, uh, if I'm researching this correctly. Russell Westbrook wins the MVP. Like, if you've still got Steph, regardless of the pieces around him, don't you think that's, like, a pretty reasonable benchmark as long as Steph stays healthy? I mean, shouldn't they be at least in that kind of a conversation? Like, I'd rather have Steph 
this version of Steph than 2017 Westbrook. Another team that outperformed their expected record also 43 and 39 that season. I mean, the question is just are, how many games you can get from Steph, because if he misses a month, all of a sudden, I think they're in jeopardy of missing the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, well, and then that's another reason to like the D'Angelo one, because if you need to pull the plug in February, if Clay's not coming along fast enough, if Steph happens to sprain an ankle and you know you're you're going uphill, then you can pivot and throw the season away and, and be in a, a fairly decent spot for the following year. Mm-hmm. You pivot and trade away uh, Steph and Clay and Draymond and rebuild around D'Angelo Russell. Come on, no one's going to do that. <laughs> Don't be silly. Uh, I'll be the last person off the Draymond Green bus, by the way. What did you guys think of that contract? I liked it. I thought that it was a it was one of those reasonable moves for both sides that doesn't usually happen because it's too reasonable for both sides. Like I thought I thought Draymond was going to play out the string. He was going to be one of the best free agents on the market, even though it probably wouldn't have been to a great situation. I'm, sh- I'm pretty confident that if he stayed healthy, somebody would have offered him more money. But... The Warriors are the best circumstance that I think would have been available. And for the Warriors, it's cost certainty. It's, you know, it puts them in an overall picture that totally makes sense. And now with what the other thing that it does is it clarifies where they're going in the 2020 offseason because now it's, you know, D'Angelo Russell, if they're going to keep him or trade him, that big trade exception they have from the Iguodala deal. And that's really going to be the nexus of their of their 2020 offseason, depending on how much ownership is willing to spend. And it certainly sounds like it's going to be a lot. Yeah, my great hope for Draymond is we don't get any of these reports about how he's losing 30 pounds during the middle of the season this year. Just show up in shape. Give us a good, honest 82-game you know, uh, run through the regular season. Golden State's going to need him. Help uh, Steph out. Rework the offense. Whatever you need to do, he's going to have his hands and his fingerprints all over that. And I think they'll be okay. I think they're going to be more stable than we're maybe fearing at this point. Uh, but yeah, I'm a Steph injury would be their their nightmare scenario. But I think that we we still tend to underrate Draymond's impact uh, as an entire collective basketball universe. Uh, and I do think the people who were like rushing to write the Warriors out of the playoffs were in particular selling Draymond's impact short. Well, I mean, I think the one interesting question to me is like you they've been playing this way for a reason because they've known that every single year they're going to go to the finals and they have to be ready to peak in June and not in April. So what happens if all of a sudden you're not guaranteed a playoff spot if you don't have to you know be saving everything for the playoffs what does that mean for the regular season now i kind of thought that about lebron last year and i thought that's why they were going to have a strong finishing kick and we're going to make the playoffs despite you know his injury and all the turmoil and that didn't transpire but you know we'll we'll see what it means with the warriors look you could tell i'm nervous about it okay that's why i put down the ultimatum about no weight loss reports okay because i am a little bit concerned but let's also remember like earlier in their run they put together some incredible regular seasons of consistent basketball play with those guys and Draymond was right in the middle of it so I'm hoping he channels Kevin Durant's departure psychologically as like a person like you know like he a personal affront to him and he comes out and proves a point that's what I want to see from Draymond in 2019-20 well so there's one other huge part of this conversation that we need to have with the Warriors which is one of the biggest things that happened was their exodus of defensive talent and intelligence you know, they lost Andre Guadalla. Clay Thompson is functionally out for most of this year. So, I mean, if you were Sean, to say... Sean Livingston. Sean Livingston. If you were to say, like, who are the... Not even plus defenders. Who are the average and above defenders on this team? My list would be Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, and that's it. That's it. 
on a 15-man roster, I would say, and, and Clay when he gets back, obviously, but he's not going to be back for a while. And that is so fundamentally different. Like the Warriors run, yes, their offense was incredible and they don't win without without all that. But they also don't win as much if their defense is less stout. And a lot of that was execution and personnel. And so much of that is gone now. Yep. No, I'm with you. I mean, they're, it's, I mean, like even during the finals, like just the lineups they were putting out there together were so dicey. And yet Steph's like still in the mix carrying them. I'm wondering if you're underrating Steph's ability to kind of like pull these guys through this, Danny. Oh, I, I think that I think it's going to be a no. Their 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 offense is going to be great, and I think I think Steph has a serious chance of winning MVP if he can stay healthy. He's an unbelievable talent, and I think a lot of what a lot of what he did so well in those MVP seasons is still there, depending on load management and everything else. And I think when he's on the floor, the Warriors will have a good offense, great offense. And when he's off the floor, now they have D'Angelo, so that should help a lot. One of the Warriors have actually never had relative to, to the league standards of that year per cleaning the glass. They've never had even a league average offense when Curry has been off the floor in Curry's entire career. That could change this year, except that the personnel, you know, if they're going to keep Curry and Draymond together, then think about who's going to be on the floor. D'Angelo Russell and like the, the bench mob is going to be very interesting. So, so that's a, a big question that I'm dealing with. But no, I think that I think that if Curry, you know, if, if he stays healthy, it's going. They're going to be one of those teams where you know they're they're great offensively, top five, maybe even top two or three when when he's on the floor, and that's enough to get them into the playoff mix, assuming he plays a, a high enough proportion of the minutes to keep him afloat. Uh, there are two other that I thought of. Two other there are quick hitter moves that I just thought were really interesting. Uh, one of them, uh, the team that we've talked about the least so far, unfortunately, the Phoenix Suns. They they just had a kind of a weird, fascinating offseason because of the, the, what they chose to prioritize and, and what they ended the team they ended up with in terms of like getting better for the present but not really being a playoff team. But for me, the most significant of the moves that they made was giving Ricky Rubio a bunch of money, and I I'm very frustrated by that because it feels like Ricky Rubio. If they were getting Ricky Rubio from like four or five years ago, I'd be much more on board because he was a much better defensive player, and yeah, there were limited offensive things. But also because the specific player that Ricky Rubio is, it nullifies some of the real growth that that Devin Booker had last year with the ball in his hands because Rubio just doesn't work as much in the you know like in those two guard dominant lineups because he's can't shoot i mean i agree with that you don't think he's two years ago was still that level of defender his first year in utah uh, I guess maybe his first year in Utah he was. Yeah, maybe it was. I, I was thinking of it as more of a gradual drop-up, but it could have been more precipitous. You could be right. You would know better than I. Well, I just love thinking about the Phoenix Suns, you know, big picture. And, like, you know, some of these other teams in this uh, division, you know, they spend years, like, carefully plotting out every possible agency <laughs> move to get themselves in a position to sign a Kawhi Leonard or an Anthony Davis or whatever. And these guys, this summer was a real tour de force from James Jones. I mean, what in the heck is happening over there? I don't know what to make of uh, this roster, you know, the, the Rubio thing. I might be a little bit higher on the potential there, but I definitely, the the conflict between him and Booker, uh, you know, that's a real thing. Um, I mean, their draft made basically no sense whatsoever. I wonder, though, is the biggest question for them just deandre ayton like is he a real player or is he an empty stats guy like are we going to find that out next season i mean isn't season that's a question about devin booker too well look i've already been pilloried by the the, the arizonans on reddit for years for kind of going after devin booker it's crazy that oh, he's oh really five. i don't know what that feels like how, how is that right <laughs> no it's yeah you're, you're in the support group with me um 
I feel like we kind of know who Booker is already, though, don't you? I mean, are you expecting well, we, a transformation no, in never, his career? Because we've never seen him with good players before. <laughs> like, not to be glib about it, but like that—that's the—that's the optimistic case for the Suns this season. Is what they have done at the very least with guys like Rubio and Dario Saric and Tyler Johnson as a third guard coming off the benches. You have a lot of competence on this team. You don't have a lot of maybe as much upside as you were hoping for, you know, what they were kind of invested, the, the assets right. they started with this offseason in terms of cap space and draft picks. But I think we're going to learn a lot about both Booker and Aiden because of that. So we're going to see Booker just locking down on the perimeter, just taking I, I another team's number that. one guy out of the that. game because now he's surrounded by Ricky Rubio and freaking Kelly you, Oubre Jr. Come on. You've got Rubio and Mikhail Bridges. Those are going to be, you know, guys who are going to take the tougher defensive assignments. You're going to let Booker cost a little bit at that then. But well, I'll say this: I the the best reason to be optimistic about them, I think, is actually Monty. I mean, isn't he the best coach they've had it since probably what Gentry? I mean, five six years since they've had somebody who's kind of proven at to any degree. Uh, once he took the job, um, you know, I don't know if he's like a top ten coach in the league, but I definitely think he understands how to set a culture, turn things around, keep people bought in. Uh, you know, connect with stars, put them in situations to succeed. I, I kind of think that Monty checks those boxes. Um, but I don't know. Like I, when it comes to Booker, it's like we know what he does really well. We know what he doesn't do well. He's been in the league now. This is going to be his fifth season. He's got you know second contract. I don't foresee major changes in some sort of his fundamental makeup as a player. He can score more. You know, he can shoot more efficiently. He can stay healthier. Uh, than he did last year. I'm not sure if that makes him significantly more valuable. Ben, I don't know how you're making me into a Devin Booker defender, but I, I think that he's <laughs> he's young enough and he grew so much last year that I, I think that there's still plenty there. And sometimes we we lose we lose track just like a guy's been in the league so long, Devin Booker came in at a really young age, that players still grow a lot through those years. And for me, the biggest reason for optimism for the Suns is, is not the Monty Williams thing, though I, I like Monty and I think especially off the court, he could provide some stability this organization has been such a train wreck for such a long time if he can just like keep everything in line a huge element for a lot of these bad teams like just genuinely awful teams is how how many minutes do you give to just straight up non-nba players and that could be you know it's a young guy that you just need to give reps to because that's the way this works or it could be you don't have enough good players on your roster due to injury or just not signing good players and i think this year's suns team is going to get so much closer to giving all of their minutes. They're not going to do all, but giving all of their minutes to competent NBA players. And that raises your floor so much. I think that might be the single biggest thing that can raise the team's floor other than a bona fide superstar. And the Suns getting out of that mix. Remember last year when they cut Shaq Harrison right before the season and their point guard situation was just a complete disaster? Like They're going to be in a much better place overall just by having most of their rotation minutes go to actual guys that can play. I mean, this this speaks to the John Schumann stat that he posted earlier this summer. Uh, of the 10 veterans that left the Suns, they had a cumulative plus minus of minus 1,709 last season. And the five guys they added cumulatively plus two fifty seven. Now a lot of that is look, you're just going along for the ride. You on were on the Suns team. and you weren't on the Suns, but yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, inevitably you're going to have a terrible plus minus if you're on the Suns last year. But it it is something that made more sense to me. I scoffed at first a little bit, but then in the context of the fact that their RPM projection put them, you know, right up there with Sacramento and and teams like that, New Orleans teams that are on the fringe of the playoff race. I guess it makes sense in that context. 
Uh, well, I mean, I think if they're going to get out of the 15th spot, doesn't Aiden have to be one of the major propellers of that? Yeah, I think he has to take a major step forward. I know there was, there's other people who are more optimistic about his defensive improvement over the course of his rookie season than I am, I guess I would say. Yeah, there's a lot of Zabruder film going around during August Twitter. <laughs> Here's the seven good plays he made back to back. But I would say with, with him and Booker, I mean, it's a little different with Aiden. With Booker, to me, the question is like, has he learned too many bad habits during this stretch where the Suns have been terrible year after year? Can he unlearn those habits if they become a good team and he has good veterans around him and good coaching? Right. I think, but I think it's a it's a trickier question with Aiden. It's like, can he grow into a guy who can lead an elite defense? Right. Not only can he just like get better at his own position and do what he's supposed to do, but like, does he have the personality? Does he have the makeup? Is he a captain on that end? I just I don't know. I have not seen it from him at um, really any of the you know, checkpoints along the way. Um, and then I, I just think you know your your comments about centers and sort of their limited value. How much are they really, you know, bringing to the table like 16 and 10? It looks good on paper, but how much is that, uh, you know, impacting games night to night? I don't know. I'm, I'm not necessarily seeing it with him. I'm pretty skeptical on him. And I think for that reason, I'm pretty skeptical on them again this season, but I think they should be taking a step forward from next, uh, from last year. And I don't know how much worse last year could have gone from Booker's health to all the poor players that you're describing on the bench to just, you know, the coaching situation, which was just sort of dead on arrival from the start. Um, I feel like of all the teams that are guaranteed to improve from last year, Phoenix is absolutely near the top of the list. One other move I want to talk about briefly, this will be more of like a one sentence thing, is the Kings going from Colley Stein to Deadman is fascinating because Colley Stein, while limited, I think Deadman is a significantly better player. Colley Stein was a really nice part of their fast, fast run, run identity. And Deadman doesn't really fill the same role. So I, I'm interested in seeing how that fit works out. Like, you know, and also with the coaching change and everything else, like, I think, I think Deadman makes them a better team, but how does that change what they do? Or do they just like run with fewer guys? I think that I don't think they're going to stop running anytime soon. And, and the other thing too. is, then they can do that with Rashawn Holmes. He gives them a slightly different look in the middle. I'm interested in the Colley Stein side of it in Golden State, right? Again, another one of these Spurs tests of like, can you bring in some guy who is in a situation where they never really develop players that well? Maybe his career kind of hits a ceiling, you know, earlier than people thought. Can they give him a second act? Can they find ways to use him? Does all of a sudden he look like this incredible steal for a winning organization? Uh, that's, you know, that side of it's pretty interesting, too. And then him playing with Draymond Green. Like, who's the best power forward defensively that Willie Cauley-Stein played alongside in Sacramento? <laughs> oh, that's going to get, that would get bleak. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop laughing to even try and answer. Well, well, so, well <laughs> speaking of bleak, one of the questions that I, I ask in this every time is the rookie you're most excited to see. And I don't know if I'm allowed to give the answer of no one, but this is a, I mean, this is a rough division for that because Sacramento didn't have their own first. Phoenix ended up trading down, but I think the answer is Cam Johnson. I'm just, he's the rookie I'm most excited to see in this whole division. I wrote none uh, in all <laughs> capital letters on my, in my pregame uh, worksheet. Um, what about the Warriors, you know, forward project? Are we just not going to see enough of him? Or you, were you trying to uh, tamper expectations or what? I mean, Smilagich is... I wasn't super impressed with him in summer league stuff. I was interested. I he's that, a baby. He'll spend the year in in Santa Cruz. I'm sure. Yeah, I think he'll, I mean, basically the the reason there are two reasons that he plays meaningful minutes for the Warriors. One is they're really hurt, and so they just play him anyway. The other one is that he really exceeds expectations. And when I saw Smelgich play 
in Summer League, I didn't see a guy who... He had some nice highlights, but I didn't see somebody who blew me away. So, yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, and... Jordan Poole, I mean, I just don't, I just don't see it with him at least at this point. But probably, I mean, I, I'm, I, my instinct is that Jordan Poole is just going to be a player that I don't like for most of his career, even if he ends up being better. So we'll see. I mean, I think that actually of their guys, the the rookies, the best one with the best chance of earning minutes this season might be Eric Pascal, who yep. you know kind of fits what they need in terms of a wing defender. If he can shoot the NBA three right away, I could definitely see him playing a lot of minutes. I think Terrence Mann with the Clippers is interesting. Oh, They're that's kind a of good call. About I like him is, uh, you know, maybe a third point guard option. They haven't addressed that other than Derek Walton being added to their camp roster, even though that's a place like I thought that would have been a good landing spot for Jeremy Lin before he decided to go to China. But uh, ultimately, my answer is that I think actually Ty Jerome instead of Cam Johnson. Boy, what a, what an indictment of James <laughs> Jones. <laughs> uh, but uh, real quick on Terrence Mann, Jerry West has been singing his praises this offseason. He was at like a season ticket holder event going on and on and on for like 15 minutes about how Terrence Mann was going to be playing important minutes by the end of the season. In. Um, and the Clippers seem to like their backup center, uh, you know, from Florida State as well. Exactly. They're sold on him. They're buying all Kool-Aid uh, related to him. So maybe uh, that's another place for some, you know, some rookie impact. But yeah, I think it's a pretty bleak crop in the Pacific this year. Now, okay. This is not a division for rookies. No, this is not. But it is a division for the other, the last offseason review question, which is the best newcomer to his team. I think the best way to do that, first of all, just the ridiculousness of this, but I guess let's just briefly, you can pick quality however you want, but I guess the three to rank are Kawhi, Anthony Davis, and Paul George. How would you rank those three? You can pick whatever criteria you want, but we'll just do it quickly. I would go Kawhi, AD, Paul George in terms of impact in the playoffs, like affecting championship odds. It's a 1A, 1-1-A situation. I'd go the same way. I mean, basically, I think Kawhi showed that he was the best player in last year's playoffs. That doesn't necessarily mean he's the best player in the league, uh, but he sustained it over the course of, you know, multiple series against multiple different high level matchups. Uh, I think, you know, Anthony Davis to Paul George, you know, that one comes down to health for me. Um, you know, I think there's a chance that Paul George winds up, you know, having a better playoff run than Anthony Davis you know, by the end of the season. But I think if I had the choice in a vacuum, I would still take Anthony Davis. Also amazing that guys like D'Angelo Russell just fall so far down on that list. But it's just, I mean, when you have the top three that, that this division has, you get there. Yeah, no Aaron Baines either. I mean, I don't know why you just chose three players. But Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, Aaron. I mean, I actually do think that he will be important for the Suns this year, just as a, <laughs> like, having a defensive center is, go, is going to help them out. And, and it's also interesting that Rashawn Holmes went somewhere in division, and we'll see how that works out. But quite, so, wait, quite, one quietly important move, Mo Harkless. Like, not oh, only yeah. got them one of the first round picks that they used in the Paul George trade, but this is a guy who was a starter, starter on the number, what, the number three seed in the West last year. And all of a sudden, he's just like coming off the bench behind Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. That's that's a luxury to have. Well, and well, look, an, I th- another don't forget about Shamit. I mean, Shamit's yeah. a, a starting quality player, too. This is what I mean. I think the Clippers are the deepest team in the league. I think fully healthy, I'd probably rather have their roster than any other roster. Uh, they can put out lots of good five-man groups. They could play big. They can play small. They can go like super wing heavy. That's why I want Iguodala to get to the Clippers, by the way, because then they could put out like five wing lineups and really break basketball. So that's like my last remaining hope for the summer. I assume it's going to start, though, right? Uh, Potential. Well, I guess it depends on what they do with Harold. Uh, my instinct, my instinct is that Shamit will come off the, that they'll start Beverly, that George and Kawhi at the two and the three. But if they start Kawhi and George at the three and the four, then Shamit starts. I hope Shamit starts. 
I think it comes down to Shamit or Trez, right, as your fifth starter? I think Shamit or Jermichael Green. Shamit or Jermichael Green is probably the way I'm thinking oh, about you, it. You want to keep her on the bench no matter what? I think that's with, what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's we we don't have a ton of time to do the uh, to do the season preview. We could start with uh, Pelton on this one, which is just ranking the teams one to five, presumably in terms of regular season record. If you want to use a different criteria, say it, and we'll talk about it. I mean, the playoffs is an interesting question here, and maybe we should do that after. I, I regular season, I would go Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, Kings, Clip or Suns. I got Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Kings, Suns. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just. I don't know. Would, Maybe would you have had pro- it that way before the DeMarcus injury. Uh, possibly. Um, I just think I'm higher on the Warriors a little bit than most people, and I think I'm a little bit lower on the Lakers. And the last three weeks have only caused me to do both those things, even to a greater degree. Um, I don't know. Uh, the Lakers rotation just—I think it's probably. I'm just fearing watching this team like 50 times in person. You know, there's just a lot of guys who. Uh, you know, are are rough watches, and I think they're just very, very reliant upon their stars in ways that some of these other teams aren't. But we'll see. So my list is the same as Pelton's, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about the playoffs. So I think then the question. So if we're if we're talking about it conceptually in the playoffs, I think it becomes basically is it, the Clippers are probably still number one, but is right. it is it it's Warriors versus Lakers, and so thinning out the rotation, I do think that helps the Warriors more than the Lakers, just because the Warriors are thinner than the Lakers. That's pretty amazing, but it's also the truth, and because now we can assume that at least Clay Thompson can be a part of the rotation, and we can't assume that for most of the regular season. At that point, oh, the I, problem is the Warriors have no LeBron stoppers. You know what I mean? Like, like their biggest they have weakness. No, they have no wings. Period. I mean, Draymond. Right. Draymond is both their their best five and their best four and their best three defensively. Eric yeah, that's Pascal, the matchup. Come gets, on down. <laughs> the match of the game gets really, really tough for the Warriors in that situation, and I think that that's why they were able to beat. Uh, LeBron, you know, multiple times during the finals is they had three or four different options they could credibly use on him. And now I think it's basically Draymond or Bust, right? Well, and I remember, mean, Draymond didn't guard And maybe AD Clay Davis. if he's healthy. Draymond didn't guard AD in that Pelican series either. He guarded Rajon Rondo because they let the bigs handle Davis. So that'd be interesting. Right. I actually kind of like, you know, using a guy like Looney on Davis, but for everything I'm hearing for Davis is that like his whole offseason is geared around, you know, playing more on the perimeter, being comfortable with the ball in his hands, attacking off the dribble, uh, you know, attacking off high screeds. And that is tricky. You know, like, I mean, Looney is a good, you know, step out defender, but like, that's a different type of challenge if that's your game plan on him. So I don't know. It's, it's funny. I think people might normally assume the Warriors are more of a playoff team because they might have clay back. They've got the experience together and all that. Um, whereas the Lakers might be more of a regular season team. I'm almost flipping it the other way. I just think from a matchup standpoint, if they were to meet LeBron dictates that series, don't you think? Yeah, I tend to agree with Ben on this one. Uh, that That's interesting on Anthony Davis, though, because I was thinking, you know, this is the best role man I feel like that LeBron has ever played with in his career because Bosch wasn't really that kind of big uh, and nor has been Kevin Love. For sure. I mean, I think that it just speaks to the the level of uh, involvement AD is going to have to have because like when LeBron's off the court, True. you're going to want AD getting a lot of offense going through him. Right. And, you know, maybe they're I'm not sure how they feel about their guards being able to set them up. They're probably counting on Rondo to do a lot of that. Um, but I, I think that just in his personal vision of who he should be as a player, I think it's. Uh, you know, adding some like Durant like elements to his game, uh, you know, being more comfortable, uh, you know, attack, facing up, attacking, you know, shooting uh, the three pointer, that kind of stuff is seems to be like his focus. So 
we'll see if that's a good idea or if this is going to be, you know, in the Jason Tatum category of poor developmental plans. But uh, I don't know. It should be fun to watch. Well, I also don't know what kind of work AD needs to do to, to be a better role man. Like, he's already really good at it. No, so maybe yeah, it's just, it's certainly just, not. No. Yeah, it's just a way of getting him reps that he enjoys and all that. But I would go Lakers over Warriors in the playoffs as of now. It could change based on who develops but the Warriors specific weaknesses are really a challenge and I don't necessarily love the Lakers options for stopping Steph Curry but LeBron is an entirely different thing and especially when they have Anthony Davis so you can't just like make your entire defense just stop LeBron James that's going to be a different challenge uh the the next question is just how many teams from this division make the playoffs I think it's three, although it wouldn't be stunning if it were four. But I think most likely if for some reason, you know, a Sacramento or even much more unexpectedly, a Phoenix make the playoffs, there's a decent chance that it's because they're bumping out one of the teams. This is interesting. So do you think four is more likely than two? Yes, I would say that. I think two is more likely than four. I'm with you. It's really close, though. But I just think, you know, if if, uh, either the Warriors or the Lakers gets an injury to a star, then that almost definitely knocks them out. Um, I like the Kings idea. I think the Kings are going to be able to snap their streak of losing seasons. I think they're going to have a winning season, but I think they're going to be in that like 42 to 45 win zone where like they're probably the ninth seed, uh, you know, unless they get some help. So to clarify, I think three is most likely Then I would go two, then I would go four. And uh, injuries are, are a big part of it. And I, I, I could see Sacramento having a season that we feel good about, but just because the strength of the Western Conference and they don't make it in. They're, they're another one of those teams that are few every single year where I just feel badly that they're in, uh, in the Western Conference. Like New Orleans is another one like this for me, where if they were in the East, they could be, you know, they could have a solid season and just make it in because the bottom of the East is so much worse than the bottom of the West. But I have like, I have so much respect for the Northwest division, just how, how stacked a lot of those teams are. And just like, and then you have teams like the Spurs where even though I'm, I don't necessarily love their talent, they're, they're the Spurs and Greg Popovich and all that. So my instinct is that it's going to take a little bit more to get in than Sacramento, like than Sacramento is going to have, but it is certainly possible, of course. Well, the way the NBA catered their entire schedule around Zion Williamson, Christmas, Halloween, Martin Luther King Day, the day before Thanksgiving, opening night, all that stuff leads me to believe that he could be our savior here in the playoff format. Like if the Pelicans get snubbed from the playoffs, like maybe two years in a row, is there a chance that he's finally the, the lever that gets us the, the top 16 playoff field because they're leaving all that TV money on the table with no Zion? I don't think there is a lever. I, I think it's just for the first round. I just don't think I, I because of the structure of it. I'm actually I probably will write on this at some point. I just don't think there is a mechanism to do it. You're but breaking it, my heart. But it would also be hilarious if it happened with a team that probably should be in the Eastern Conference anyway. Just like if if they actually like structured it geographically to to be the impetus for it would be hilarious. You mean if they had <laughs> enough teams in the western half of the United States? Yes. Not that I can think of any particular markets that might deserve some. <laughs> no, no, there, 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 there definitely aren't any. Uh, Vegas, so, <laughs> Vegas is on the rise. KP, they got the football. Yeah, well, we can put one in Vegas. Maybe, maybe put one in Vancouver. Maybe Mexico another an, an, or a team in or, maybe a team in Orange County. That that would balance it out pretty well. Bring it back to San Diego. Honestly, who doesn't want a team in San Diego? Ka- Kawhi, Kawhi's going to go sign with the San Diego team. With the he'll, he'll sign with the with the Orange County. Julius's? I don't, I don't know exactly what that would be. But the um, 
But the well, last, the last they, would, they would have to sign Julius Randle. Yes, of course. Uh, so the, the last question is just what players do you think will break out? And this can be – I don't think of it as like who's going to be a, a new star or anything like that, but just who are we going to be talking about in a different way? And I want to start with one guy, and that's Landry Shamit. Like I think there's a, dis- a distinct chance that Landry Shamit is a starting player on the championship team this year. I hope that this was going to happen last year on the on the Sixers, just him being an important part of a really good team. And he was a part of what the Clippers did last year, but he fits just so well with their players that I, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be not necessarily by people like us, but I think he's going to reach a different part of the national consciousness and I'm ready for it. I hundred percent agree with that. He was he was my first choice as well. I mean, you know, I liked him in the draft, but I thought he was gonna be kind of like, you know, a Seth Curry type maybe in the NBA, and he's already proved, I think, to be more versatile than that, particularly defensively. Uh the other two players uh, that I was thinking about in this uh, Alex Caruso, you know, if he uh, is a big part of this late year's Lakers team and then Mikhail Bridges, you know, I think he was uh, really solid as a rookie. And if they're a good team, they'll kind of get noticed for that more than he would on a bad team. Are we operating off of uh, different definitions of breakout here? Because I, f- I felt like the number one answer was Fox, like taking a, a huge Fox jump broke out last year. He should have been the most improved player. I know, but don't you think he's going to be in the All Star mix this year? Uh, that's hard. In the in the West, West. That's going to be hard. Now, but... now maybe we could get a change in the All Star format instead of the playoff format, and we can get guys like Fox more in the mix. But I mean, the West, the West point guard mix is going to be nasty this year. I mean, can you imagine the existential crisis that's going to be if like Mike Conley and De'Aaron Fox are the like the to the two snub, the last two snubs? <laughs> I just I think, think that he has a better chance of breaking out quote-unquote than fox well he was my number two on the list i just think that these are guys that they get forgotten about right it's sort of like you know a franchise that doesn't really get discussed a lot i think fox is going to be the biggest star they've had since what peak boogie like early career boogie and the likability factor and just the, the way he's going to be presented i think it's going to be you know something that they haven't had in a really really long time they're not very on, t- on national tv very much which is unfortunate i think the nba should have done a little bit better planning there on that one, but I also think Bagley is is ready for a, you know a pretty big jump. I mean, I'm not sure. Again, I feel like his weaknesses are going to get talked about a lot less than his strengths, but his strengths are so obvious he's going to get you know some some real attention this year. Where I felt like he got just totally overshadowed in all the rookie conversation last year. Like I, it didn't even feel like he was part of the the, the talk. I mean, all of the talk should have been Luka Doncic anyway. So. Oh, I think the talk was where it should have been. Like, you know, and I guess Trey getting some, you know, late season buzz too. But it just felt like Bagley was always on the outside looking in there. And I think, uh, you know, it was sort of like a two bad race that he was was not discussed. And I think there could be stuff like, would you rather have Bagley or Aiton? Like, that could be a big conversation coming in this year. Yeah. Jam it better. <laughs> well, and especially sham it better for a team like the Clippers, which is which is important for that. I mean, that gets into some other stuff. I've been I've been banging the Bogdan Bogdanovich train drum for a while. You can't bang a train, um, and I, I I really like him as a player. I wonder where where his role is going to be on this Kings team. I could imagine him getting squeezed out a little bit, or I could imagine him just being the small forward and they play Barnes at the five. You know, like I think they'll start a reason. He'll get mar- Bogdanovich will get marginalized, and then they'll square around. I also think that he might end up being a breakout guy in the FIBA World Cup, which isn't the same thing, but I, I, it'd be interesting to see if somebody like that gets gets some shine based on the World Cup, even though the games are at a terrible time for American audiences, and then really builds off of that into something else. The best part about him is that he's like 27, still playing in the Rising Stars games. It's like he's not even the best old young guy on his own team with, with Buddy Heald. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I wonder who that. I wonder who that's going to be this year. I haven't. Run, I haven't thought about the Rising Stars game yet. Thankfully, so yeah, that'll be because yeah. Now, now he and Buddy are mercifully out of that. But yeah, uh, the Kings love the seventh year seniors. You know, they they do. Uh, yeah. So now, I guess Phoenix has that with Cam Johnson. So I guess he's the, he's the closest. Oh. That'll be perfect. When he's still in the Rising Star game three years from now, that'll be ideal. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of other things we could talk about. Is there anything that you guys definitely feel we should? I mean, the one move we didn't talk about, by the way, is the Warriors moving from Oakland to San Francisco. I don't know what kind oh. of impact, if any, that's going to have on the court, but that is an interesting offseason move. It, it is definitely an interesting offseason move and how it, how it affects you know the atmosphere, but also how it affects the willingness to spend and all that because this Warriors team this year is not going to be super expensive but the way that they did the D'Angelo Russell move sets up for them to be incredibly expensive next year I'm working on a, an extensive piece about like why that's the case and granted if the Chase Center is build, is making money hand over fist involving the Warriors and not that doesn't necessarily affect ownerships willing to spend but it kind of sounds like it will in this case I don't know what the odds are but I'm taking no on them using that Andre Iguodala trade exception next year doesn't this have to impact how much they spend, though? I mean, just the, the size and the scope of that building. Like, I took the tour. They've got private butlers in the suites, and, like, the suites have, like, a wall of TVs that goes from, uh, you know, ceiling to floor. Like, I just feel like the people who are paying those prices are going to be like, wait a minute, wh- wh- where's Kevin Durant, first of all? And then once that settles in, they're going to be like, all right, well, well who's next? I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a fan base that's going to be, uh, you know, demanding in a way because of the amount of money that's being invested, you know, from the, the ticket holder standpoint, uh, I think they're going to be feeling that pressure. And I think they all already feel that pressure internally to, you know, put together the best team possible. But I think it's a pretty unique dynamic. I mean, there's not a lot of other teams out there. The Clippers want to be one, you know, who are you know self-financing and putting together this, you know, billion dollar project. Uh, but I, I think it is a, a different dynamic. It definitely keeps the, the foot on the throttle. Yeah. that And that will be an important story moving forward in this division, which is going to continue to be fascinating. But thank you guys both so much for taking the time thanks as always for having us thanks danny thanks again to kevin and ben for taking the time to come on you can read kevin on espn sometimes you can see him on espn i've been excited to see him on the jump of fairmount this summer and you can follow him of course on twitter at k pelton k-p-e-l-t-o-n ben golliver washington post and you can follow him at ben golliver b-e-n-g-o-l-l-i-v-e-r before we go have that aforementioned conversation with Adam Burns, the sports manager at betonline.ag. Since this is a basketball-focused podcast, we talk both about the NFL and the differences between setting and maintaining lines in the NFL and in basketball, which I thought was really interesting. It was a concept that I had thought about a little bit, but Adam's insight was was really interesting to me. It was something that I hadn't, I didn't know nearly the contours, of course, that he does. So you can listen to that. It's about seven minutes, and here it goes. Thanks so much for coming on. No problem. So the NFL regular season is about to start, and something that that I think is interesting, you know, this is mostly a basketball-focused podcast, is is the difference in terms of structuring lines between the NFL and the NBA, because in the NBA, the games turn around so quickly that I'm sure the lines move, but they don't really have as much time. But in the NFL, you kind of have to play that out. And not only do you have to set a good early line, but you have to be adjusting because actual news happens over the course of the week. Well, NFL is probably way more stable lines than the NBA. The NBA, the problem is, and it's a pain in the, uh, can I swear on this show? It's a pain in the ass for, um, for, for odds makers, just because um, during the season, as it goes on, they sit players, they rest players and all that sort of thing. So you'll see major line moves sort of like right up until game time. 
Um, NFL, it kind of stays the same. You'll see line movement early on um, before early in the week where the sharp or smart bettors come in and bet and then it kind of settles down unless there's an injury or a story. And I mean, last week, you know, I was in bed and it comes out that Andrew Luck retired. So I had to wake up and, 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 you know, close down everything Colts related, you know what I mean? And, and so it becomes a bit of a pain. So that in the NFL, I think the only times you're going to see major line moves is when something like that happens, you know, a retirement, uh, an injury, um, a suspension, weather, uh, stuff like that. Um, but in general, I mean, the NFL is way more stable than something like the NBA. The NBA is just is a real pain for most odds makers. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that, that the NFL does not really have healthy scratches. You know, if, if somebody's able to play, they're going to play. And sometimes in the NFL, even if they're not entirely able to play, they're still going to play. And, and that is a really big difference. And sure, you have some stuff with injury reporting there, but you're right. The idea of just, you know, if LeBron James is just not sitting for a game and they announce it a few hours before, that's totally different than what happens in the NFL. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean, it, you know, like NBA is the biggest example of that. Um, it happens in baseball as well, but baseball doesn't impact a line that much. You know, like they'll sit some player on a Sunday or Monday or whatever. Uh, you know, like the old David Ortiz thing, where he would every Sunday he wouldn't play, and then people would pay money to go to see the game, and then he wasn't playing there because he was tired, even though he was a designated hitter. But th- those those sort of things kind of are a real pain for us um, just to keep on top of. And you know what? There's players and betters that, you know, take a, take advantage of that. So we got to be on the ball, especially in stuff like NBA, MLB. You know, NFL and, and hockey is a little bit less. College football, I mean, college football, college basketball, It's it, there's a big wide range of, of, of odds you'll see like 50 point spreads and you'll see two point spreads. Right. So, which never happens in something like the NFL. So it's, it's, it's a challenge for odds makers. And I think people don't realize that, that, you know, some people say, Oh, they're always right. Or sometimes they'll say, Oh, they're, they're crap. And they, they don't know what they're doing, but it's a lot of work and you got to be on the ball with everything. And we're following social media. We're following the injury reports. We're following the fantasy sites. We're following everything just to make sure that uh, our, our, our lines are as, as solid as possible. Well, and then I'm sure there's also some balancing, depending on what time of year, especially with also, because not only do you have the immediate stuff, which I'm guessing takes precedence, but also, I mean, obviously something like Andrew Luck, you talked about take away everything Colts related. I was thinking about how that affects, you know, their title odds, or if you have their division odds or all those sorts of things, because there are all these other spillover effects that might be, in, except in the Andrew Luck case, more small, but they do still matter. And that's something else that you have to monitor. Yeah, like Andrew Luck is a, is a premium example. Basically, the Colts were fourteen to one to win the Super Bowl, and we were actually taking money on them uh, quite a bit uh, up until he retired. And we also have odds up on will he come out of retirement this year or next year. Um, but the fact is, is that he was they were taking quite a bit of money, but they went from fourteen to one to fifty to one just because of him retiring. So it makes a significant difference. And the thing is, is that that happens whether there's an injury or that sort of retirement thing. So we got to be on the ball. And and the fact is, is that you know what the the Colts probably will not win the Super Bowl, but we still got to be on this and and, and taking a look, especially because a lot of people are betting them beforehand. You know, Jacoby Brissett, who knows with him, he's not that bad. They might still, that division is a very weak division. With, with Texans are now the favorite and followed by Jacksonville, then, um, you know, the Titans and then 
um, the Colts, which completely flipped, basically. Uh, they all moved around in, in that division, and I think it's it's a wide-open division. So the Colts could still potentially make – they could win eight games and make the playoffs in that division. Uh, so, so we got to we got to keep an eye on that and and just be aware of how people are betting and and where where the money's coming in. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And so, as you talked about, so many different challenges that have to be managed at exactly the same time. Uh, anything else that you you feel like is kind of connected with this that you think listeners would be interested in? Well, the, the thing is with us at, at, at you know at BetOnline.ag, we we try to put up odds on anything we can. So, and we try to get players engaged and, and, and have some fun with some stuff. So we have some exotic sort of Andrew Luck props. Like I mentioned earlier, will he come out of retirement this year? Will he come out of retirement next year? Will Gronkowski come out of retirement this year? Will Gronkowski come out of retirement next year? Especially because the Patriots are so, uh, you know, kind of injury depleted. They're still the favorites to win it all at about 7-1. to one, But they have some issues. I know they made some trades to upgrade their offensive line uh, yesterday or today. And we got to be on top of all this stuff. And but literally, you can bet on everything. I mean, yesterday I opened 500 individual player props uh, for the season for each team. You know, how many yards will Tom Brady get? How many yards will uh, you know Ben Roethlisberger get? And Aaron Rodgers, and so forth and so on. And so we're 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 working kind of 24/7 on this stuff, and and all of it takes money. And people like those exotic kind of props instead of just betting on the game line like everyone else has. Uh, we try to offer the most that we can. You know, like the other day I was doing Dancing with the Stars odds, and I was you know googling these people who I never even knew who existed. Um, you know, I knew some of them, but. <laughs> You know, it, it, it's kind of an interesting job and an interesting thing to do. But, you know, we, we try to offer whatever you can, whether it's NFL, NCAA, all the other major sports, and then all the exotic stuff. Politics has been huge lately, uh, especially with the election that coming up next year. Um, so it, it, it's sort of a, an endless job and a thankless job, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I can imagine. Well, thank you so much for taking time. It's great to learn a little bit extra about your business. No problem. Anytime. Thanks again to Adam for taking the time to come on. Use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. Thanks again to Ben Golliver and Kevin Pelton for coming on. And that actually, as strange as this is, this doesn't usually happen. That concludes the Western Conference portion of the Division Capsule podcasts. It just so happened with guest availability that the West came first. I have the East ones in terms of guests all lined up. It's just going to be about when everybody's available at the same time. August and September are when a lot of media folks do their traveling. So it's just making sure that both guests are in the same place or are in a place at the same time that's available. So those will be coming out in the near term and have a couple other things that will fill the remaining weeks until the season starts. And we're getting closer to actually seeing all that, which is pretty exciting. And I don't think I'm going to do anything on the FIBA World Cup here, though I am keeping an eye on the games when I can. I'll watch them a lot more closely in the later rounds than right now. But that's a great reason to keep tabs on the podcast, subscribe, download every episode that's super important. This show comes out at different times in the week all the time because it's about guest availability and my own availability. So you can do that. Also, spreading the word how you see fit. Word of mouth is very important and tied in with that, leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. I understand if it's not. If you want to be super awesome and you use something else, you can leave a review both places. The most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is check out our sponsors. The aforementioned betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code. And I, I don't know exactly what the timing is going to be next week. It just depends on when, when guests are available. I have you know a few that are in the offing, but it's just timing. And... 
You can also check out my work. Nate and I are doing Dunked On pretty regularly. I think we're still three times a week now. We're recording on later on Wednesday, but I don't know when that's going to be released. And writing at The Athletic. So starting to really get picked up. I've actually been excited. I've been spending more time writing over the last couple of days. I actually took three weeks off, I think, something like that. And now I'm really getting back into it. And so stuff's going to start coming out fairly soon. It's just deciding when things go. And, and me getting I, – I, I end up being more of a perfectionist in the offseason because – I have the time to go through and edit everything. It's not a trade review piece that has to come out pretty quickly. So that's pretty fulfilling. It's nice to be able to do for a brief period of time. That's part of why I indulge myself. But we have a great editorial team at The Athletic, too. So that's enough for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.